0: Multitasking Tim, Muso bass player, give him a clap, you doing a great job, thank you. Come on, give him a real clap. That's better, very enthusiastic. Praise the Lord. Now we've been, um, well we started, uh, we had, how did you enjoy Murray Newman last week? If you weren't here, you can always get the podcast of the messages um, and that'll bless you. Uh, but uh, before that, we started a series on relationships on Father's Day, actually, and we talked about number one relationship we can all have, and that is, of course, with our Father in Heaven. And uh, and then we talked, or Ruth shared about marriage. And uh, and on that, I um, I came across a story that I thought you might like to hear about some men in a locker room at a golf club. And um, uh, they were standing around uh, finishing uh, up, washing up, They'd played their game of golf, uh, and mobile phone rings, and one of the men picks it up answers it, puts it on speakerphone, and then begins to have this conversation with everyone else listening. Hello, he says. Oh, hi, honey, it's me, the woman's voice says on the line. Are you at the club? Yes, dear. Well, I'm at the shops, and I've found this beautiful leather coat. It's $3,000. Is it OK if I buy it? Sure, go ahead if you like it that much. She continues, I also stopped by the Mercedes dealership and saw one of the new models that I really like. Well, how much? It's 200000 But they're offering really easy finance. He says, "Okay, but for that price, make sure you get all the options." Great, she says. Oh, one more thing. I was just talking to Jane, and the house that I really love is back on the market. They're asking 1.6 million. All right, go ahead. Make an offer of 1.5. They'll probably take it, but if they don't, go ahead and pay the full 1.6. If it's what you really want. Oh, great, she says. I love you so much. He responds, "Bye, I love you too." The man hangs up the phone. The other men in the locker room are staring at him in astonishment. Their mouths wide open. He turns and asks, Does anyone know whose phone this is? <laughs> I just love to think what would happen afterwards. <laughs> Some blokes come home to that. Anyway, so that was so that's that's my intake. That's that's my input for marriage. There you go. Keep it keep the jokes coming in your marriage. Um, I want to talk about family today, uh, and uh, and I want to look at a scripture, Galatians six verses nine to ten. I think all our verses will come up here, and uh, I'm ready for the New Living Translation. It says, "So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing. If you don't give up, so just stop there. We just heard over communion, husband talking about faith and patience and sowing and reaping. It isn't what, isn't that a great promise? Exactly what we heard about perseverance and tenacity and persistence and patience. And, uh, and what an encouragement uh, that we will reap a harvest at the right time. <laughs> and who knows, God knows the right time. And it's not always what we think is the right time. But God knows when the right time is. And so we've just got to keep going and not give up. Therefore, in other words, as a result of the blessing from reaping, from doing good. In other words, flowing on from the concept of doing good. Whatever, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone. But notice the last phrase, especially to those in the family of faith, or your Bible might say in the household of faith. So families, well, families are awesome. You know, we're blessed. We've got all our kids here, nearly all our family, except we're missing a daughter-in-law. Hudson's shipped her back to work while he's bludgeoning. Um, uh, and you know families are awesome and um and when i say families plural i don't just mean all the natural families that are represented here the fact is if you're a follower of jesus you are part of two families we have our natural nuclear or extended but natural physical earthly family but as jesus followers we become part of god's family and and the same kind of principles that make up a great family, apply to both families. And we hear a lot of talk these days about dysfunctional families. But our families can be functional, can be fabulous, can be, you know, fun and fantastic. And, and we can build our family relationships to be strong, to be sweet, to be pleasant, to be wonderful. And God will show us how because he gives us wisdom, he gives us skills, he gives us character to develop and and experience all the, the qualities that make up great families. So you've got the warmth factor, the, the connection, the, the good communication, the fun factor. You've got the ability to forgive and, uh, of course, you've got leadership and, and discipline when required. But the foundation and the, the overarching capstone and all-encompassing quality that obviously keeps people going well together in any group, but especially in families, is love. And as you know, love, not just a feeling that comes, you know, fleeting moments to us, but something that we lean into, that we decide to commit to. Love is a decision, a commitment for the long term. And so I want us to think about how we can bring our love to the table, to the family table, how, you know, particularly to our spiritual family. Because the fact is, each of us have got both a responsibility and a privilege to contribute to the family. And if you look at that verse again, you can see it says, do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So notice, first of all, it says do good. In other words, you're meant to do something. You've got a responsibility to act in a certain way. God, This is God speaking. He's not saying... Some of you should do good. Or if you would like to, but you don't have to, you could do good. No, it's not an option. It's a charge upon us, isn't it? It's a commandment to do good. So, so there's the responsibility for us to act in a certain way. But then, of course, notice this phrase, family of faith or household of faith. So as I said, the family of faith is is not just a an analogy. It's not a poetic kind of, you know, concept, it's a spiritual reality. As soon as someone commits their life to Christ, they're adopted in to God's family, just as real as any physical family, just in a spiritual realm. And uh, and of course, that applies to all, all of us if we're following God and believe in Jesus and commit to serving him and following him. We find ourselves with this massive worldwide bunch of siblings, and and then there's those that are not just on the other side of the world, but of those that are right near us in the local church that we are called to do life with and called to figure out how to get along with, which is what we'll talk about. But notice also, it says there, do good, especially to those in the family of faith. Now, you know, we talk a lot in our church about reaching out, witnessing, sharing our faith, talking to people about Jesus, being inclusive and welcoming for people who aren't yet... Christ followers, but we'd love them to be, and, and, and that's really right, because that's God's heart, and that's what the Bible instructs us to do, to be a good witness, to share our faith, to love people, to pray for people, to help people, all kinds of people. But notice that without compromising that part of our mission, we're also called to especially do good to those in the family of faith. So that doesn't mean we circle the wagons and we're a just Christian club and we're all insular and we are scared of the world or we hate other people who think differently to us. No, no, no. We love and we reach out and we connect and, and yet there's a special consideration for brothers and sisters. Just like in your own natural family. You send your kids off to school and, uh, and they're, you know, there to stand with each other. We would always, you know, tell our kids, Look at them. They're all look at them. They're all in the same <laughs> right. Stand up, please. Look, please stand up. Do as you're told. Don't care how old you are. There, nothing like. See, look. They're my four children. Or not often. They're all together. And Caleb, please, adopted into the family, son-in-law. Right. All right. Sit down now. Good. Stand up. Sit down. See. Still got it. Just. Oh. Mind you, please pray for me this afternoon. Do you know what I'm doing? Ah. the three on the right the young strapping 20-year-old dudes have invited me to join them on an overnight bushwalk. Crane. We've got to carry all our own water. Hudson's got a compass. That's all we need. Yay. What about a tent? No. No tents, Dad. No tent. Sleep under the stars. Crane. Anyway, praise the Lord. (laughs) I think I just... Maybe I'll just... (laughs) Stay here in the air conditioning, a little sleeping bag and sleeping. Anyway, um, so we we tell our kids, look, you fight for each other, you stand for each other, you help each other. It's natural, natural family. But well, we're called to do the same in our spiritual family. And uh, and and if you think I'm extrapolating too much from just one verse, then bear with me and let me show you many other verses in the New Testament that talk about this. Concept of God's family. Let's run through a few. And this is not all of them. Ephesians 1 verse 5. God decided in advance to adopt you, adopt us, into his own family. By bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Isn't that awesome? You give God pleasure. He loves you. Just like parents love their kids. Even though they can be ratbags sometimes. Hypothetically speaking. You, know, uh, you still love them. Ephesians 2.18, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. 1 Peter 2.17, respect everyone and love your Christian brothers or the family of believers. Christian brothers and sisters, NLT says. Oh, that's a different... Isn't that interesting? We've got a couple of different NLT versions floating around. Fear God and respect the King. Love the Christian family. First Peter, uh, further down in chapter 5, verse 9, he wrote this, stand firm against him, the devil, and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers or the, your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. And so... Again, this worldwide family, we feel for people, we think of them, we stand with them, we pray for them, we remember them. And then in 1 John, he spoke a lot about love and a lot about love for the Christian brothers and sisters. If you love, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. A person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. He's not pulling any punches, is he? And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them, but it gets stronger. Look at first John chapter four. This is sweet John who laid his head on Jesus' shoulder and lap and just you know he's a loving guy, but he's strong in God. If someone says, "I love God but hates a fellow believer," they're a liar. for if we don't love people we can see how can we love God whom we cannot see? and he's given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. That's a great verse. (laughs) Every Christian should meditate on that. And, of course, what's he referring to? He says he's given us this commandment. Well, that might make you familiar with what John also recorded in his gospel account of Jesus' ministry. Because if you go to John chapter 13, here's that famous statement where Jesus speaking says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And the next verse, he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So once again, we want to impact the world for Jesus. We want a witness for him. We want people to come to him and, and understand that he loves them and that he's got a call for their life, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And one of the best things we can do to help people out there is to love each other within the family of God because that's a witness, that's showing it works how sad and ridiculous is it when people look on and go is that what you stand for no thanks I'm not joining your club I don't care what you say about how wonderful God is I see the proofs in the pudding it's not a very nice pudding but better when people go oh no I've tasted the pudding it's awesome I've been with your people. I've seen how you get along. I've seen how, what a great community you've got. I've seen some conflict that got resolved. I saw people with very different backgrounds and walks of life, and yet you all seem to gel together, and you're all welcoming and happy and friendly. And, ah, oh, maybe there's something more than a normal social dynamic going on here. Oh, yeah, it's called God the Father sending the Son with the Holy Spirit as his lovely love glue to keep us all together. And that's how it should work because love says i'm not going anywhere i'm sticking it out i'm going to work this out with you i'm committed to you even in the tough times as i said in our natural family we encourage that with our children with your spouse with your siblings with your parents with your you know your whole extended family and of course in our spiritual family cuz in natural terms couples of course can separate they can get divorced family members can be rejected or get isolated siblings sometimes have a falling out and they even cut ties from one another for years decades forever how ridiculous and tragic some people just cool off and become emotionally separated even though they're still physically around the people in those families well the same thing can happen in God's family sadly people can leave and it's like a divorce there's this terrible separation or people can be offended with their brothers and sisters. they may actually physically be still around each other, but they 're kind of cool and and disconnected and isolated and um, and that 's not the way it should be because love heals love can help us work stuff out, and it leads to us being able to say no no i 'm committed we 're going to we 're going to work this out i 'm not walking away so couples with God's help especially, can get through difficulties and disagreements and not just fall in love, they can learn to stay in love. And and in natural families, again, siblings and differences in personality conflict and all that, they can learn to forgive and, and work stuff out and say, look, you're my brother and, you know, we're going to work out how to get along. I know what I'm talking about because my brother and I fought when we were kids, like, like animals. Like really bad. I don't mean just little kids in the sandpit. I mean when we grew up and got decent-sized fists and, I mean, blood. Like like the garden rake on the side of the head and hot water. A knife. I know. But it's all right. He's in jail now and so I'm safe. It's all good. No, I'm joking. He's not in jail and he was probably not as aggressive as his little brother, who was probably trying to prove something because I was the little one. So, yeah, we were pretty bad. Uh, we just crazy, terrible fights. Um, but we get on great today, we really do. And, um, and it helped that we had a very strong father who said, you will work it out, get in here, you know, and uh, was very strong. And then a sweet mother who came along and kept the love you know, in the family. Oh, that's right. And we grew up and matured. That helped too. You know, we actually realised physical, you know, trying to kill your brother uh, didn't really, you know, help anything. Um, so, but, you know, any family, now my, your family might not have been so dramatic. We're pretty sort of top, both strong-willed characters. But um, any family or any group of people wanting to relate, it's going to have its ups and downs. Um and it's better not just to fight or walk away, but to work it out and to learn. Do you remember? If you went to university, remember organisational theory, all this—you know—the study of group dynamics, how people relate and interact together. There's a famous educational psychologist, Bruce Tuckman, who incidentally just died last year, it's in his late 70s. Um, and he came up with—you may not remember his name, but you may, if you've been to uni, you might have come across this kind of uh, theory. Tuckman's theory came up in the in the 1960s. And he talked about different stages that people go through when they group together or team together. And so have a look at this slide. And you may you know know this as you know, forming, storming, norming, performing. And so uh, this is Tuckman's theory of team formation. And you can see on the far left, can you read that? It says potential well-formed teams. So any group of people's got potential to get along, to do something together, but they're not yet in relationship. And he observed that as you can see from the little line there there are ups and downs and he said commonly people would be drawn together in this stage initially called forming which is it says they're a short-lived phase team gets acquainted they learn roles and responsibilities and university students you'll be tested on this at the end of the service or you won't get a coffee um and so here you've got people that are polite but they're distant and they can be watchful they can be insecure about their role they can be even confused about how they should interact with other people and some have called this a pseudo community at that point because they're not really connected and sadly that's as close as some people ever get they can be around others but they're not really letting the walls down you know but then he said then there's this period that is called storming, (laughs) and it dips, because there's conflict now. He calls this a challenging period. The team experiences disagreements, power struggles, and conflicts. And so, uh, you know, this is where the differences come out in the open. Some people are going to be confrontational. Others might step up with some interpersonal skills, very diplomatic to help with the conflict, whereas others just withdraw, maybe even leave the group at this point. But then there's the norming phase team discovers the light at the end of the tunnel, they establish guidelines, and they understand process. In other words, now they've got an understanding of common purpose. There's a cohesiveness in the group, There's a, or a cohesion, I should say. Uh, uh, there's procedures that they learn to how to get along with people, how to deal with issues and stuff. And people start to realise, oh, actually, I'm not the only one. There's a team or a group that kind of is more important than just me. And then, look, it goes up performing, and so this is where they really get it, collaborating, anticipating and adjusting. Their work is efficient, the team is motivated. So now they've got synergy and success and they've got results being achieved, more than they would achieve as individuals because they're working together as a group and there's a sense of satisfaction. Interestingly, later on in the 1970s, having produced this model and observing people, he came up with a fifth phase he called it adjourning. Others came along and said they called it mourning because they observed that a lot of times groups would break up. They would get to this point of success and then they would break up, either just dissipate because they've achieved something, uh, maybe in a work environment, a team has finished, or sometimes because a conflict arises again that they can't cope with. Others have come along and said, well, let's put a positive spin on that. We'll call it the transforming phase. And uh, and I like to think that that's possible for any group to not have to separate but to transform, to move forward and to go through those sorts of phases but being able to maintain healthy relationships all the way through, especially in God's family because we have the Holy Spirit touching our hearts, leading, speaking, calling us into unity and so we can grow and go further to achieve more. Thanks Fiona, you can take that. Um because when we, you know, when we come together in God's family, you might relate to some of those stages, and you've had a season of conflict, but you know you've also learned how to get along and get over that conflict. Because again, we've got the Holy Spirit to help us, and so it's so much better, isn't it, when families stick together, when we don't isolate or separate or, you know, rip apart. I um, I heard about an elderly man. Pregnant pause, excuse me for a moment. Elderly man living in the country. He called his son who was living in the city in another state. And the old man phones him up and says, son, I hate to ruin your day, but I'm calling you to let you know that your mother and I are getting a divorce. 45 years of marriage, that much misery is enough. The son is shocked. He says, dad, dad, what what are you talking about? We can't stand the sight of each other any longer, the old man explained. We're sick of each other and I'm tired of talking about it. Call your sister in Hong Kong and let her know. Frantically, the son calls his sister who lived in Hong Kong. And she explodes on the phone. No way they're getting a divorce. She shouts, I'll take care of this. She calls her father and tells him, you are not getting divorced. Don't do a single thing till I get there. I'm calling my brother back. We'll be flying in by the weekend. Until then, don't do a thing until you hear from me. She gets off the phone. Old man hangs up the phone, turns you wife and says, Okay, honey, it's all set. They're both coming for Christmas, and they're both paying their own way. Isn't that, awesome? Isn't that cool? So sometimes you've got to be creative to get the family together, you know. But of course, you know we might get tricked into joining a family event like that, you know. But in the short term, but in the long term, we need to really commit ourselves. You know, we've got to we've got to own the idea. Let me just talk about this for a minute. You know, people talk about, oh, he really owns it. and You know, it's mine. I have it. I got it. I own it. And we do own some ideas. And this is one that we should really own, this idea of I'm committed. I love and I'll love in action, not just in words. I really will work it out in my family, in my spiritual family, my natural family, in my relationships. Um, I'll maintain the unity of the brethren, you know, and it'll honour God and I'll obey my heavenly father's wishes. These are good concepts. But for some people... They don't own them, they just rent them. You know, this this whole thing of forgiveness and commitment and real love, sadly, because, you know, if you own an idea, then you live it out. You practice what you preach. You, your actions back up your words. It's just like owning a house. You own a house, you look after it, you work on it, you repair it, you remodel it, you're committed to it, you're paying a price for it over a long period of time normally. And so there's obviously commitment. But, you know, some ideas we take on board just when it suits us uh, and then drop them or leave them, like renting a holiday house. You just move in for a little while and then you move out and you move on when the holiday season is over. And uh, and I realised that You know, this is true of of these sort of concepts that we talk about. When the pressure comes, you might have an idea that you thought you owned, but you just let go and go, yeah, you might say it. Oh, yeah, I really believe it and all that. But now it's not being fulfilled in your actions. Like, um, you know, in the Old Testament, King Saul uh, was tall, handsome, anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king stood up with the prophets and prophesied and yet yet when it was time for his coronation where was he hiding in the baggage all bound up with insecurity and 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 so he was only renting the identity of being a man of God of being strong and confident and those insecurities dogged him his whole life it was just a concept that he kind of lay hold of but let go of and didn't really have it known it. You compare that to David who owned the idea and owned the identity that he was God's man. He came from complete obscurity and yet he stands up to be reckoned with because he takes down Goliath single-handedly and went on to be king of the whole nation of Israel because he really got it in his heart. This is who I am. This is God's calling this is what i believe this is who i believe i am and so regarding getting, regarding this concept of you know getting along with others and working stuff out and being committed to god's family with love and grace and forgiveness we can read the scriptures and we can hear the preaching and we can speak about it ourselves but sadly some christians only rent the idea and then when an issue or a conflict arises rather than staying they run they hide in the baggage or rather than forgiving they they take on offense Rather than loving, they get bitter and twisted because our behaviour is always the, the echo of our belief, isn't it? We, we need to get in our heart and our mind God's calling, God's commandment so that we can really own that idea and really love each other. Uh, can I just read you something We're coming to a close eventually? You still awake? All good? Okay. i just got to read a little passage uh, from A.W. Tozer. You may have heard of him. Great Christian writer, pastor. And um, he's, he's talking about, uh, you know, in Romans 15, 1, Paul says, um, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves, bear with one another. He says this, the plain fact is that the average Christian, even true Christians, is yet a long way from being like Christ in character and life. There is much that is imperfect about us, and it is fitting that we recognise it and call upon God for charity to put up with one another. The perfect church is not on this earth. The most spiritual church is sure to have in it some who are still bothered by the flesh. An old Italian proverb says, He that will have none but a perfect brother must resign himself to remaining brotherless. However earnestly we may desire that our Christian brother go on toward perfection we must accept him as he is and learn to get along with him to treat an imperfect brother impatiently is to advertise our own imperfections isn't that clever and and then he he, he lists a few versions of how people might be infirm in the sense of weak you know he says bear with the infirmities and he says you know this person that person he says he says what about uh, who has not had to bear lovingly with a brother or sister who is afflicted with logoria, the incurable propensity to talk without pause or punctuation? I thought he was making that up. I, got, I reckon I've got a reasonably decent vocabulary. Logoria. I thought, oh, he's playing, mate. he's a play on words, from, you know, like the Greek word for word, logos, and and you know, all right, very funny, you know, ha ah, ha ha, diarrhea. But Martin will probably tell you, it's in the dictionary. It's a real word. I thought, how funny is that? I'd never heard it. Anyway, so So he said, yes, the the incurable propensity to talk without pause or punctuation, that, that the talk is religious, in inverted commas, does not make it the less painful. And then there's the unstable brother who spends his time either falling or getting up again. He's either leaping for joy or lying face down, bewailing his hard lot. What church is there that does not have one or two such believers in it? <laughs> Don't put up your hand. Sorry. Um, yeah. But anyway, he just says some great things about, look, uh, you know, um, what about, add to this, the sister whose prayers are accusations against the church, you know? Oh, Lord, we do pray for our pastor who blah, 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 blah. you know? And, or, or her prayers are self-pitying complaints about the way she has been treated by other members of the flock. What shall we do about these infirm brothers and sisters? If we deal with them as they deserve, we may crush them beyond recovery. The thing to do is to accept them as crosses and bear them for Jesus' sake. In the great day when we have become like our Lord and have left all imperfections behind, we will not be sorry we endured patiently the infirmities of the weak. And so, uh, how well said is that? That's why I chose not to paraphrase and pretend I had thought of all that myself. Um, You know, the fact is, sometimes Christians—they're the hardest relationships we have, because God is always calling us close with people who naturally we may not be close to. It's not just a friendship thing where I don't like it. It's, It's your brother, and maybe in your own family you can go, "Yeah, oh my sister drives me mad." Yeah, well, God just put you in that family, and that's helping you to grow in grace. Um, And I've noticed that the devil doesn't really care about other kinds of relationships, but he works very hard at pulling Christians apart from each other. I've been in groups where, look, I've seen when the kids were little and playing rugby league, I dare say it's not as bad in unions. Sorry if you're a rugby league supporter, but it's true. The rugby league culture is a little more aggro. I've seen men on the sideline of the rugby league physically... swearing and hitting each other one Saturday, the very next Saturday, Good they're just chatting like nothing ever happened. You look sideways at a Christian the wrong way and they're, you know, because there's a spiritual dynamic. The devil doesn't care about the footy club people, whether they're in or out of that. He cares about the church. He doesn't want people to keep working stuff out. I was in my classic motorcycle club meeting that Craig will not come to and give me support for because it's a little dry and dusty, you know, but the, all the old blokes about their classic bikes and they're chatting away and all that, well, it got a bit feisty because, you know, one guy, they were talking about the rally and um, they said, uh, uh, they you know, we needed some, um, well, there was, anyway, there was some swearing and heated argument going on about stuff that, you know, just politics. But then the guy next to me says, I'm not going to be a marshal at the next rally. I've had it. I, beep, 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 beep. And I've never met the guy. Just, you know, he's swearing at me about all the, the marshals that they want and how he's done it and I never want to do it again. Then they go, oh, we need marshals the next rally. puts up his hand. He goes, yeah, right, I'll be a marshal. I think, oh, come on. You know, it's just like, yeah, you do uh, But, you know love for one another. We've just got to work with that. And can I say this? It's not just about within our church, our tribe. We've got to love people from all streams, all different churches, denominations. It's amazing how some Christians attack attack other Christians and then think that they're, who are they they helping there? What kind of a witness is that? I was so impressed. I heard Bill Johnson preaching recently because you may have heard and seen YouTube and clips and Christian blogs and stuff, Christian ministers calling out and criticising other Christian ministers—it's uh, just ridiculous. Well, Bill Johnson—he's sharing on this podcast—he's got three specific ministries who are out to try and prove that he's a heretic, having a go at him with their blogs and web pages and and stuff. And he talked about his response. He said, "I have committed to pray for them—these three different men—every single day." And I thought, "Yeah." Fire and brimstone, right? You know, like pray down God's judgment. No, not at all. He says, I'm no, he says, I am not praying for God to kill them or judge them. I'm praying that God would bless them. Oh, and I thought, Flip, that is so God. That's so good. You know, he's been touched. Because he knows it's only going to build God's kingdom if he does that, rather than tear it down. It's not going to help fighting fire with fire and you know, going. But he but also he notices. It's essential for his own well-being. His spirit is going to be clear and clean from resentment or anger. So, you know, when you forgive someone, when you walk through a difficult season with a brother or sister with grace, you benefit, not just them. Your spirit gets to stay sweet rather than being poisoned. And that sweetness flows. So, you know, commitment isn't just this awful, tough grind. It's awesome because when you stick it out, you... You get to enjoy the long-term benefits of a relationship. You have history. You've done the journey together. You've got some stuff to laugh about in years to come. And, uh, and the relationships are all the sweeter for that. So let's be builders, yeah? Let's bring blessing to our relationships. Let's work for unity. Let's do good to those who are in the family of faith. And, of course, all this requires our connection with the Lord our reliance on Jesus, because that relationship will influence all our others. It's, it's no overstatement over to say that you, you cannot but be affected when you spend time with Jesus, you know, that his love will, even if you don't realise it, touch you and flow into you and flow through you. And so we return to that constant call to walk with the Lord, connect with the Lord yeah? so we can connect well and walk well with each other. Amen. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.